doesn't have the saving ability that the real good news has. And that's what he goes on to say in verse 7, which is really not another. And there's where, if you can guess, he uses the word another of the same kind. When they say good news, they don't mean good news like I did, like the good news that I, I shared with you is. It can't be good news if it's not the good news that God sent about Jesus. If you believe something else and say that's good news, guess what? You will end up in punishment. To put it bluntly, you'll end up in hell. That's not good news. That's a lie, and that's bad news. And as he continues on, he says, not, not really another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So now he's going to talk about the methods of the false teachers. Here's how they did it. First, he said they're, they're disturbing you. And that word literally means to shake back and forth, to agitate, to stir. So they've come in and they've shaken you up. How was this done? Well, based on what Paul's already said at the beginning of this book, how he immediately defends his apostleship, they, the false teachers have attacked Paul's validity as a source of truth. They presented the gospel Paul preached as insufficient and ineffective. Paul, what Paul gave you, it's not enough because he didn't tell you you have to do this. What Paul told you, well, that's just easy believism. That's a, that's, it's too easy. You can't just receive forgiveness of your sins by believing. No, you have to do this. You have to accomplish that. Isn't that more satisfying? And guess what? Where does all the glory go? To you. And that's, that's not good news. When all the glory goes to God, as we've seen, that's where good news is. So what if they, what if they believe they, they need to do something? It's just too easy to just receive a free gift. Well, then they start thinking, oh, well, have I done enough? Well, what if there's something else that somebody didn't tell me that I have to do? Well, where's the line? Well, if Paul wasn't right, what about these people? Maybe they, they still are missing some information. I need to find the next person. They've been disturbed. They've been shaken up. Their foundation, believing in Jesus as Paul has presented, now the doubts are beginning to arise. And the goal of that disturbing is to cause a sense of panic. Thinking, well, I, I better just keep listening to these people. They'll tell me what to do. And now what? You're just dependent on them, right? In fact, in Acts chapter 15, verse 24, uh, that, that's the place where the apostles and the elders of the church in Jerusalem gathered together to deal with this whole question of, can Gentiles just be saved by believing in Jesus? Or do they have to become Jewish first? Do they have to be circumcised first? Do they have to keep the law first? Well, they gathered the, the elders and they gathered uh, the, the apostles together to deal with that question. And as they started out their letter to the, the Christians who were scattered in other places, they talked about the strategy of the false teachers as well. And the beginning, the letter begins actually in verse 23. It says, and they sent this letter by them, the apostles and the brethren who are elders, to the brethren in Antioch 
and Syria and Cilicia, who are from the Gentiles, greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number, to whom we gave no instruction, have disturbed you, there's that same word that Paul uses, with their words unsettling your souls. See, the, the, the apostle, other apostles and the elders knew the strategy they were using. They pulled out from underneath you your foundation. They've disturbed you. They've shaken you up. Then it says also there in verse, in verse 24 that they are unsettling your souls. And that word unsettling has the idea of to plunder your enemy. Do you catch how they do this? First they shake them up, and then they get what they want from them. They get their allegiance. They get their dependence. And we'll talk about some more of the motivation. But these false teachers aren't there for the good of the people they're teaching. They're there for what they can get out of the people that they're teaching this false gospel, this ungospel, really, because it's not good news at all. And so they've just taken these new believers and put them in a position to take advantage of them for their own good. And they put them in a vulnerable place. First they've shaken them up, then they've taken advantage of them. And so what, what are we to do at times like that? When we feel shaken, when we're like, what if, what if this isn't true that we were told? What do we do? Well, we can go back to John 14. We were there talking about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. That chapter starts off with Jesus talking to his disciples in a time when they were a little shook up uh, because Jesus was talking about going away and then he was going to come back for them. And what did he say? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Same word, by the way, that Paul used about them being disturbed. He said, don't let your hearts be shaken up and agitated. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That was the, the starting point that Jesus had for them. Get your focus where it belongs. Get your focus on God. Therefore, you get your focus on me as your Savior. And the other thing would be to do what the believers in Berea did when they first believed. Before they put their trust in what Paul was teaching, they checked it out. And so Acts chapter 17, 11 is the place where Paul talks about them. Um, after having been chased out of Thessalonica, he came to the small town of Berea. And here's what the people of Berea did when he shared the gospel with them. He said, now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They kept going back to the scripture. They kept searching it further. They kept searching it more. And before they put their faith in Jesus, like Paul was telling them, they went to the word of God and said, does what Paul say match up with what we've already been told from God and know to be the truth? That's what we need to do when we get shaken, when we think, well, maybe what we believe isn't right. Or should I trust what I'm being told? Or get back into the word. Study it for yourself. See what it means in the context in which it was given. It's commended here as being noble or noble-minded thing to do. 
So don't let yourself just get shaken up and just grab onto something because you've been shaken up. But then Paul goes on to say, the gospel I gave you, I want you to know it was absolutely right. And he uses such strong language because he doesn't want them to be led astray. Verses 8 and 9 there he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And now Paul's going to, to here present the most narrow of possibilities. Obviously, it wasn't him or Barnabas, and it wasn't an angel from heaven that was preaching to them. But he says, but even if it were, this narrow band here, he was absolutely confident that what he had taught them when he was there was correct. So much so that he says, even if Barnabas or myself come to you and tell you something different than the good news we told you when we were there, don't believe them. Don't believe us. And if we do that, we deserve condemnation before God. We deserve punishment from God. One of the most severe ways of of saying that because people's eternal destiny is at stake. If we tell people the wrong way to get to heaven, where are they going to end up? In hell. It's not just a matter of, oh, well, you picked the wrong accessory to go through life with. It's not like you you picked a less helpful philosophy of life. No, if you get the wrong gospel you choose a path that takes you to hell. And so Paul uses strong words and he says, even if Barnabas or I come and give you a different message than we gave you at first, we should be accursed. We should be under God's judgment. This is serious. Of course, Paul wouldn't do that, right? He wouldn't come and give them a different message. But he said, even if we did, that's how serious it would be. He says, even if an angel from heaven Oh, that would have to be a holy angel, right? Not a demon, not one that had turned against God, but a holy angel should come and contradict the message that Paul taught. He said, they should be accursed. They should be condemned. And of course, a holy angel would never give them a false gospel. So he's putting it in the strongest possible terms, right? A totally holy angel of God would not come and give a contrary gospel. But he says, I'm so certain that the gospel I gave you was right. Even if an angel should come to you and tell you I was wrong, what he would deserve would be eternal punishment in the lake of fire. So this should help us to see that religions who have, for one thing, claim that they have some kind of a new revelation that differs from what Paul taught are not to be believed. And there are several that say, oh, well, we received this truth from an angel. And you say, well, it doesn't match up with what the Bible says. Oh, well, we got it correctly. It doesn't matter. If it doesn't agree with the gospel that's here from Paul, it's wrong. And a person who tells you something different than what Paul told you, Paul uses very strong language to say they should be condemned. It's a lie from a deceiver, and those who teach it are under God's condemnation already because obviously they have not believed the true gospel. A person who has truly believed the true gospel is not going to go around and tell people to do good works in order to be right before God. 
And so Paul uses this very strong word. This is about as strong a language as he could have used. In Greek, it's the word anathema. Some of you have probably heard that Greek word before. And it means a curse or accursed or condemned eternally. You can't, can't really say this any stronger or with a greater impact. And I think that's one of the reasons that our culture used to be that when people would, would use the word damn or they would say something was God damned, that, that's the word Paul used there in, in, in the Greek. We said, no, you shouldn't say that unless you mean what Paul means here. If you use those words, I would encourage you to stop because all it does is weaken the true meaning of what God says here when he says you should be accursed. To be under the condemnation of God is the worst possible thing that can happen to any human being. And we need to say, wow, how is it? I could say that is what should happen to a different per- another person. Well, Paul says it's those people who, who do not believe and teach a wrong gospel. That's accursed is the same meaning as those words that we hear so commonly in our culture. And that's, that's really where words that we shouldn't say, it isn't so much that that word's wrong, but it's because it's, been, it's a phrase that often has been taken out of its proper context and used in a blasphemous or in a, a trite way, in a way that degrades a truth of God. But that's really, again, it's the work of an unbeliever to come and say, here, do this, and you can be right with God. Now, a true believer will say, no, like I did, stop trying to do yourself and trust yourself to Jesus, and he will save you. He will forgive your sins. He will give you eternal life and change you from the inside out and then lead you into a life where because you have been saved, you will do good things. You will do things that honor and glorify him. And that's where the real blessing is. So, so don't miss that distinction. But what's the basis for such strong language that Paul would say, somebody who tells you a different gospel should be eternally condemned? Well, go with me a little bit further in Galatians chapter 1 to verses 11 and 12. It says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, I know with certainty that it's right because I got it directly from Jesus. And we saw last week how when when Paul was confronted by Jesus on, on the road to Emmaus, he gave him that truth straight out that he needed to believe in him. But beyond that, he received direct revelation from Jesus. That's how he knew what the gospel was. And so if they had a problem with the message, their problem wasn't with Paul. He's saying, your problem is with Jesus. He gave me this gospel. And and Paul's going to explain that in in much more detail as we continue on through Galatians. And so we won't get into that a whole lot now. But your argument's with Jesus if you don't believe Paul's gospel because he got it directly from there. But that principle takes, it, it started way back in the Old Testament. Go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18. And here as Moses is being given truth from God, God points ahead to the future to let him know that this isn't the end of what I'm doing here. 
Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 and 19, he points ahead and he says, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen, the Jews, I will, from among their countrymen, like you, so like Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak the, to them all that I command him. So here, pointing ahead to Jesus. Jesus is going to speak the words of God to the Jewish people. And, and then watch what happens if they don't believe him. It says, It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. In other words, if you don't believe what Jesus said, you're accountable to God for disregarding his word. You are accountable before God. And I think as Paul said, it goes along with this, you are anathema. You are under God's curse, under God's judgment. Wow. Paul's got some strong things to say here, doesn't he? I hope my words have helped you understand that. He's not messing around and he jumps right into it at the beginning of his letter. That's how serious it is. Do you think he was too strong? Well, look at what verse 9 says. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. So if you didn't get it the first time I said it, I'm going to repeat it for emphasis. And he also tells us here it's not the first time he has said this. They've warned the Galatians in the same way in the past. It says you cannot abandon this good news of a free gift in Christ. And I'm going to say it, and I'm going to say it again until you get it. That's how serious this is. And then in verse 10, you could say he starts to say the, the obvious. He says, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? Do you use that kind of language if you're trying to make people happy? You're just trying to get them to like you? I don't think so. He's willing to put it strongly. He's willing to be not liked by people who are preaching a contrary gospel. He's willing to be put down because he just has to say what is true. And we also have to consider what is the motivation of these false teachers. Let's look ahead a little bit at some things that Paul says. Galatians chapter 4, verse 17 Here's what he says about the false teachers. They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. Oh, they want to put you in a place where you're outside. You see yourself as outside God's favor, where you see yourself as outside of salvation, so you will look to them, not to Jesus, but to them. They want you be dependent on them. They want you desperate to hear their words, not God's words. And then if you continue on to chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, here's the other motivation of these false teachers. There's a couple of them here. It says, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Oh, they want you to do something 
that's going to lead you astray because they don't want to be persecuted. They don't want other Jews to be giving them a hard time or, or causing them problems. And so they're compelling you to do this work in order, telling you you have to do that to be right with God. Then verse 13, it says, For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so they may boast in your flesh. Oh, they want to use you so that they can have bragging rights for what they've accomplished. They can come back to Jerusalem to their fellow Jews who have not believed the gospel, the true gospel, and say, look at that. See those Gentiles out there, what we got to them to do? We got them to do what, what Moses said in the, in the law and be circumcised. We got those Gentiles out there to begin following the traditions of the elders. We got those Gentiles out there to put themselves under the Jewish law. Aren't we good? Look what we've accomplished. It's all about what other people are thinking about them. And Paul says, when I say that someone who gives you a different gospel should be accursed, should be condemned, is that the kind of language you use to make people like you? No. He says, I have to speak the truth, even if it means I will be persecuted, even if it means I will be disliked, even if I don't fit in with my Jewish physical brothers and sisters. I'm not trying to please men. In fact, he's fighting the fear of man. When Paul was a Pharisee, before he believed, his life was all about pleasing men. He wanted to look good on the outside. He wanted to appear to people that, oh, you're doing all the right stuff. He called himself blameless as far as the law was concerned. Well, not before God, but what everybody could see, you look good. He was all about appearing right. He says, but if, you know, if I'm going to go that way, I won't be the servant or the slave of Christ. The two don't go together. The great privilege of serving Jesus, being his servant or his slave, that's, that's the best thing there is. But I can't do that and going, go around and try to please people. The two don't fit. Doesn't mean you need to be you know, obnoxious. You don't need to be unpleasing to people on purpose. But if you have a choice between doing what God says and speaking his truth and making people happy with you, there's only, there's only one right choice there. You need to speak the truth that God has given you. And Paul says we need to stop fearing people and truly fear God, hold him in awe and in honor. As we look at all at these strong words of Paul at the beginning of Galatians, we need to look around at our own world. We live in a time when there's a new brand of tolerance that's seen as the highest virtue. We're told by the culture around us that not only are we to live and let live, let other people believe what they want, and by the way, you know, tr the freedom, say, we have in our country to believe what we want, really grows out of a true understanding of Scripture. We don't, you can't force people to believe. But you present the truth, and you appeal to them, and you pray for them. And so having you know, freedom in our country comes right out of our, our Christian heritage. But our culture now says not only do you have to 
say, well, you need, to, you need to consider what God has said, but it's your choice. Our culture says if someone believes something different than you, you have to affirm what they believe. You can't say it's wrong. You have to affirm it. You have to encourage them in believing something that's wrong. Well, Paul would say, let them be accursed because they're leading people to hell with false teaching. The addition of any kind of good work on our part in order to deserve forgiveness or right standing before God or to receive the gift of eternal life destroys the good news and the way of salvation. And so, no, I won't affirm even other groups that say, well, we are Christian because we believe in Jesus. Well, if they don't say that Salvation is only by trusting in Jesus. I have to say, please reconsider. Please look at God's word. Please know there is no salvation in the way that you're proposing. Only through trusting in Jesus. And we're, we learned, on, we're looking at in, in Philippians on Thursday nights. We can see that Paul, when there were people who were preaching the true gospel for wrong motives, he could still rejoice. But when they were teaching a, a, something, calling it gospel, and it was not good news, he used this kind of language to condemn it. And he said, no, you must have salvation is only by entrusting yourself to Jesus, receiving a free gift from him. In fact, Paul says at the end of chapter 2 of Galatians, That if we, he says, if I, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If there's something we can do to deserve our salvation, why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did he give his life? There was no purpose in him doing that. It was a total waste. That's how strong this truth has to be held onto. You can't say you believe in Jesus and say that people need something besides him. Some, some good deed on their part. No, basically you destroy the work of the cross if you say that to people. So let's simply trust Jesus and be built up in him and share that good news with others as we live a life that flows out of what we become in Christ so others can know the true gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for using Paul to speak words of truth and speak them very directly, very strongly. I pray that you'd help us to, to take them to heart and then graciously share the, the, the true good news with others and to rely on that good news for ourselves and not be, be troubled, to be shaken up uh, by people who, who want to to turn the attention to themselves who want to be in control or to have boasting and bragging rights. Help us to, to point all of the glory, all of the praise to you for your sake and for the name of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray.